Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. We talked to 2016 Olympian and 2019 Pan Am Hammer Gold medalist Gwen Berry about the IOC Rule 50, her protest in solidarity with Black Americans on the Pan Am game medal stand, what moved her to protest, and the hypocrisy behind the IOC not only putting her on probation, then publicly stating support for athletes of color, but also the hypocrisy of silencing an athlete and separating the athlete from their struggles and the truth of their journey in the name of Olympism. Thanks for keeping track with us. Welcome back to Keeping Track, everyone. I'm here with Alicia and Roisin, and we have been really going through a lot as a country and as people the last few weeks. And so the question of how are you doing is super um, loaded. We all are not into the surface answers anymore, but I do want to check in with my friends. Um, so just checking in with Ro and Alicia, what's going on in your lives and is there anything you want to update us on? Ro, I'm super curious about how you're feeling with your pregnancy right now and if there's, uh, you know, what, how far along you are going, if there's excitement, if there's anxiety, if there's like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well, I've got like, like under nine weeks to go and people are like oh so you're ready and like no I don't have anything ready but uh, I feel like in the next two weeks and my kids finishing up school and finishing up some project work projects I'm like gonna go into baby mode so mm-hmm. um but yeah with there's so much going on in the world right now it's like the pregnancy is is just like a nice little kind of internal thing to kind of check in with myself and take care of myself kind of gives me like a double reason to do that um yeah. But, um, yeah, with so much bigger things going on in the world, so much tragedy in the world, it's, um, I'm definitely kind of preoccupied with that as well. And um, I think we all should, we, a lot of people are, and I think we should be. And I think this is a really important time in, in the world's history. So I want to be awake for that and I want to be... Um, I don't know, engaged in that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really tough to just give a surface answer right now. And we, yeah. I, I think that this should really kind of push people to think about when they ask the question, like, how are you doing? Um, yes. And if they really want to know the answer to how people are doing. And, um, you know, yeah, check-in is just so much nicer way to be like, hey, and that just allows people to sit, to hold to let them know like you're thinking of them mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you're holding space for whenever they are ready to say something or yes. they want to and just know that you're actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's so, I think truthfully what I find, uh, and I knew this was going to happen. I knew that everybody was going to, you know, the gun was going to go off. Um, everybody who's listening who may not be a track or, you know, r- running fan, the gun going off, meaning like it's our start gun. <laughs> um, that everybody was going to go hard because that's what happens when you start a race, right? Everyone's going to go really, really, really hard and then everyone's going to get really fatigued. 
Um, and I think I'm witnessing that and I knew it. So I'm kind of more in a space of like observing the fatigue and, um, my double consciousness is like triple. It's like observing. It's like, I'm, I am a black person. Um, I'm feeling fatigue myself. I'm also observing fatigue, but I'm also continuing to put pressure on people to keep engaging and keep moving because this needs, this has to change. And the only way it's going to change is if we keep talking about it. And so this, for me, I'm like, okay, you guys just opened up the door for us to keep having this conversation. Um, which means every week, whenever I feel like it, I will talk about race, which is not something that you've seen any of us do because it's just been so taboo. Um, and now I'm just like, okay, like I almost feel like I'm going to do like woke Wednesdays, you know, <laughs> with Alicia Montano. <laughs> yes. um, just b- because it's important and you yeah. recognize how many people really had no idea that this was something that black people, indigenous people, people of color faced every single day. Um, and mm-hmm. now that eyes are open and, you know, hearts are open, sounds so, you know, church camp, <laughs> but truthfully, you know, you, I want to keep moving mm. that momentum forward. And I know people will say, and you'll probably, you know, if you're doing the work, uh, follow people that will say, you know, it's, um, it's not on, uh, it's not on black people, mm-hmm. but in my, the way I see things is the way that I've always grown and grown is that it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to allow for my audience, my friends, um, to be able to come to me and really look towards like a place of, oh my gosh, I can't ask this question anywhere, anywhere because I feel dumb asking it, but I'm stuck. Where, where, do, where do we have people go if they're stuck, you know, in really trying to figure it out instead just like giving up and, you know, but that's why mm-hmm. we're saying listen, really, really take the time to listen and read. But at the same time, I've always been that way with my friends and being like, hey, whatever topic, let's do it. And I don't want to change that. Um, but mm-hmm. the truth is I am very overwhelmed. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but I know what tired feels like, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm almost immune <laughs> to tired. Um, but the thing about tired is that there, if you don't take the rest, it will take it from mm-hmm. you. And yeah. so that's kind of what I'm experiencing right now. Um, the, my, my push, push, push sort of mentality is you know it's the, the rest is, is doing it for me it's slowly kind of having me shut down last week um I didn't do much of a lot of things I need to get done so that's where I feel really overwhelmed this week because mm-hmm. the thing is I work for myself and if I don't do the work it's no I can't assign it to my assistant or yeah. I don't have an assistant by the way guys that's a pretend person <laughs> um or I can't assign it to anybody else. And yeah. so that's, that's kind of how I feel. Um, but mm-hmm. I also feel relief, you know, again, like we said, we're asking and checking in. I'm, if, if we're checking in, we have to be ready. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel relief to be able to say, like talk about these issues mm-hmm. because it's feel, like for so long, we've been just gloss over it or hold it because mm-hmm. oh, no one's going to really get it anyways. Or someone's going to say, Oh, I don't really think that that's what that is. You know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, just even the experience, you know, with uh, Runner's World and saying, oh, this is happening. And be like, oh, well, you know, this is like, okay, well, I don't really want to keep digging about why this is racially charged and where it's coming from. 
um, and just helping people get a space of, of um, understanding of why um, our friends, you know, your black friends or brown friends haven't talked so much about race with 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 mm-hmm. our non-white, our non-black, brown or um, indigenous friends. And it's um, because, you know, helping people understand a systemic issue isn't like we're not going to do a homework assignment, you know, or a classroom assignment while we're just trying to hang out. Yeah. So that's why we're asking for people or not even asking. We're just saying, if you do care, you do do the work. And it's a lot. It's going to be unpacking for a really, really long time because we overpacked it. We overpacked it. And um, it was something that should have never, ever been in the first place. And I think there's a, I'm going to share this Instagram, um, uh, story. I can't remember what the woman's name is, but she's in my, um, she's in my message inbox, but, um, where she just basically says, you know, the question that people should be asking is why, why did white people feel the need to oppress a whole group of people based on the color of their skin? Why? So like when she said, she talks about how, you know, you're, we are asking questions to our black, brown, indigenous friends, BIPOC friends. Um, we should also be, you know, sitting within your family circle and kind of asking like, why, where did this come from? Why was this part of our history buried? Um, you know, why didn't you know about this to tell me this? What did you feel like those sort of whys? I think right now we should be in a place of asking a lot of questions and digging really, really deep because I think uh, knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's been intentionally um, meant to be taken from people of color, like giving them any opportunity to climb up. But why? Mm-hmm. The whys. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that can help us um, heal and move forward and grow and just know that we have to keep doing the work to um, n- like just blow up that part mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what we've been facing, not only in America, but globally. Yeah. yeah, it does. It seems like the time really is now for mm-hmm. for action to come because the mm-hmm. conversations aren't as taboo and it's not a popular conversation to talk about racism. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. some of my friends have been joking about how we are, we're losing followers <laughs> on social media. Yeah. And we're like, mm-hmm. obviously we don't care, but we're like, why are these people like, who are these people that won't? you know, mm. sit with the discomfort, t- tolerate these um, yeah. posts are yeah. kind of annoying. And um, it does speak to social media it can only go so far because people already agree with you if they follow you. So it really does mm-hmm. push you into those more uncomfortable conversations with family members, maybe that don't mm-hmm. agree with you or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, we are, oh, getting, my gosh, we are what, what are to- and yeah. we want it to be a long term game, we want to recharge yeah. so we can go again and keep pushing right. and keep talking and keep keep acting so I think that is that is important um and I found it super interesting that and unfortunate that um Gwen Barry who we talked to in this episode mentioned that she actually uh lost out on some sponsorship opportunities even for taking her stand on the podium um and making the black power salute and um like she saw that at a more magnified level than followers. Mm-hmm. She actually mm-hmm. lost dollars for talking about that before this movement happened. If she had done this maybe next week, I wonder if it would have been a different story. So, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that really highlights how unpopular and how taboo it is to talk about um, totally race in America and how just the fact that that's 
that script has flipped is important. And we yeah. hope it's that way. Definitely. And just to, for like a background on, on understanding a black power salute. And I think what happens is people will put it in the lens of like a white power, you mm-hmm. know, which is the exact opposite. The point is that we've been had power, like never had power, mm-hmm. had it taken from mm-hmm. us. I mean, ultimately, you know, like I believe like I am the, I'm going to, charge through I have power you know what I mean but as a race of people Mm -hmm. it's been systemically um the the system has been built to take power away from black people so that is just like solidarity it is solidarity like we're better than it isn't an all lie you know like versus Mm -hmm. it's like no solidarity like I'm honey I'm encouraging you keep going let's go your blackness is beautiful your blackness is powerful you are amazing it is it's like giving to versus all of that has been taken from or never been allowed for us Mm -hmm. Um, just so people can really understand what that means Um, yes and Gwen talks about that in the interview too you know she said mm -hmm. that came to her kind of spontaneously but it was for the people that looked like her the girls that want to throw there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. throwers for them to look up to Mm -hmm. for her son Mm -hmm. to see for her family Mm -hmm. members to see so Mm -hmm. that was very much in the spirit of what she was doing yeah I think it goes into this like the ceremony of like you know what is a medal stand all about and like it is that kind of moment where like all that journey comes to this one little peak and right and that she was like in that moment and got flooded with an emotion that just made her you'll hear the story but made her raise her fist and like that's a beautiful thing and like other people talk about getting on the state on this podium and crying or laughing whatever you know they get flooded with emotions it's like you don't think or you think you're just stepping up on a block but actually it isn't mm-hmm. it's it's like a, it is this kind of beautiful ceremony that creates the space to just like wow like yeah this is how far I've come and um, mm-hmm. and it's her moment you should have it's you know for her to be reprimanded for that it's just I'm glad they're kind of backtracking now <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. she's finally getting the them actually even care and listening to her now yeah, so which is like to care yeah unbelievable mm-hmm. they didn't even want to know her story before now all yeah. they're all ears so the change is, is happening which is great but let's not leave it there let's keep it moving let's keep it moving you know one of the things I think is just so crazy is that we are um in the middle of a pandemic you know and everybody has been still for so long I like like Molly said it really feels like the time is now where people were so invested in some sort of entertainment or something to look at so they're just on their phones mm-hmm. all the time or you know yeah. what I mean there's so many that was their space of distraction and they were forced to see hello you've been so distracted by the outside world and everything else and going to work people would have been on vacation right mm-hmm. now people would have been buried into a project I can't worry about that right right mm-hmm. now People have had Sports, to pay attention to this. Kids. I just, yeah. the kids yeah. and everything. And I'm just like, I really, like, the time is now. This happened right now mm. for us to pay attention and yeah. to wake up. And so I just implore everybody to stay <laughs> woke. And <laughs> now we know what that means. What have people been saying for so long? Wake up and mm-hmm. stay woke. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the time is now. So and don't yeah, turn away we, from the discomfort if you find something in you that you didn't realize that you were holding or biased. We all have those blind spots. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm even like, I'm like, oh, I don't identify as being biased as like people. But I've woken up more in the last few weeks and realized, wow, like I'm living in a country, even though I don't like having been born here. Like I'm like, oh, I'm so benefiting from a system of privilege because of the color of my skin. And it sounds ridiculous 
to me but I'm still white and so it's like oh I can now see that in a different way but how about the opposite how about if I was seen in a different way with my skin color like that it's just such a ridiculous system and it's just so unjust I, I just keep encouraging people to go to the discomfort look and you know look a little bit more look a little bit deeper stay there learn mm-hmm. there right yeah. and and um don't just turn away and deny it you know we can't mm-hmm. just don't do that like stay mm-hmm. stay in the uncomfortable growth phase with us mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. less less guilt more action is a quote that I've heard last week yeah so I think that's important you know it's there but instead of feeling overwhelmed by guilt just what do I do next to be better Mm -hmm. to change things Mm -hmm. that's right and don't look don't like let let's not turn around and say oh I'm take my guilt out and Alicia you need to now like tell me everything you need to ever experience so I don't feel guilty no like (laughs) I if I if somebody opens up to you or you know checks in with you or or any of their friends of, of, of people of color black brown indigenous people of color that they don't expect them to necessarily, oh, here's all my traumas that I've ever experienced now that you want to know all of a sudden. Like, no, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a lot. That's a loaded, loaded, loaded question. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, that's serving you, right? Mm-hmm. That's serving you as a mm-hmm. white person, not necessarily serving your friend again, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, let's make sure that when you do kind of reach out to people that it's for their interest and not necessarily your interest. Yeah, that's right. So, yep, Molly, well, take us away. Yes, we will let you um, listen to this interview with hammer thrower Gwen Berry. She talks about how um, she was on probation for one year for her protest at her gold medal ceremony at the Pan Am Games in 2019. And we get to know a little bit more about Gwen. So we will let it roll. Gwen is a 2016 Rio Olympian for Team USA in the hammer throw, a 2017 and 2019 Team USA athlete, the 2019 Pan Am gold medalist in the hammer, and a three-time U.S. indoor champion and world record holder in the weight throw. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Keeping Track. Today's guest is Gwen Berry. She is a hammer and weight thrower. Hi, Gwen. Hello. How are you guys? Good. Gwen, can you tell us a little bit about where you're training, how things are going right now, and um, a little bit about your career. So um, I'm training now in Houston, Texas. I moved here from Mississippi um, almost about two years ago um, because of the weather. It's really nice out here, the facilities. Um, I started throwing when I was actually a sophomore in college, throwing hammer. Um, I started doing track when I was a sophomore in high school, but I was a jumper and I was a sprinter. So when I was recruited to college, um, one of the coaches saw me and said, oh, you remind me of a girl that I used to coach in the hammer throw. Would you like to try it? And me, I was like, absolutely not. I do not want to try it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, after he convinced my high school coach to talk to me and, and, you know, sit down and have a long talk to me, um, I tried it and I almost made the junior Olympic team in three months of trying the hammer throw. So I just stuck with it. And that's that is that's so crazy. That's yeah, amazing. What was your resistance <laughs> to trying it? You said what? What was your resistance to trying it? Um, I feel like everybody was a little bit bigger than me, stronger than me. They've been throwing, you know, in high school or even before. So I feel like I had no chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And now look at you. Yeah. <laughs> That's so amazing. Yeah. Um, so in your career, do you have, I, I, I don't know an answer to my own question, but do you have a highlight um, of your career that I you can like- share with us? I feel like my biggest highlight of my career would probably be going to uh, Poland to a hammer challenge and beating the world record holder two times in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, back to back. Wow. That's, that was definitely a highlight. Um, what year no was that? Has, um, that was 2019, actually, and okay. 2018. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. So I'd be so her back to back. So 2019 shaped out to be, which was just last year. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, shaped out to be a pretty amazing year for you. Yeah. You know, being the world record holder, um, being the 2019 Pan American Games champion, which brings us to our next point. Um, at the 2019 Pan American Games, you saluted, you uh, saluted, you, uh, you protested basically with yeah. a um, Black Power salute, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, can you tell us about that experience um, and what exactly, you know, you intended when um, you went on the podium and um, showed solidarity for the Black community? Well, I feel like in that moment and um, going into Pan Ams, I had faced a lot of trials and tribulations. Um, I had moved to Texas. I had got a new coach, um, new training partners. Everything was different. And I had to reinvent my throw and myself because the way I was throwing was just hurting my body. And, you know, I had to just do something different. So just me getting to know myself, learning myself, you know, learning my coach and trying to build a relationship with him. Those were, you know, it was a hard, it was a hard transition because, you know, it was world's world championship year. And we, you know, we have to be ready in June. And I moved um, mm-hmm. last, I moved in 2018 in July. So I only had a, a, you know, a year, not even a year to get ready. So it was a race against time. And I feel like for a lot of a lot of people, you know, that's what life is, a race against time, because you want to do and accomplish so many things, but you just sometimes feel like you don't have enough time. Um, mm. So, you know, practicing here in Houston, Texas, um, where I practice at, it is definitely in an impoverished neighborhood. You know, every time I, I, I go to training, you see a lot of poor people, um, a lot of black people that have no means, they have nowhere to go. Um, they have no jobs, so they're they're, they're just kind of out and about. And I remember one time at practice, um, gearing up for the Pan American Games, it was this homeless guy, and he had jumped the fence, and he had um, he had came to the Hammerfields, and all he literally just needed was a safe place to be, right? So he sat down and he just watched me throw. So he asked some questions, and you know, usually you know people would be intimidated by this. Or, you know, they would be scared because who is this stranger? It's this black man. Mm-hmm. He has muscles. He's a stranger. Why is he coming over here? So we just talked. I said, this is the hammer throw. You know, you want to try, you know, just joking, having fun with them. But I can tell he was extremely exhausted and he just needed a safe place. So he sat on the bleachers. I offered him water. I said, you need some water? Because it was it was a hot day. He drank some water and he literally just went to sleep right there at my practice. And I just was like, mm-hmm. this is unbelievable. Like, how many people do you really know that literally just find somewhere where they can find somewhere nice, 
uh, some, you know, somebody that's just there, they're minding their business, they're nice, they're, they're warming, they're welcome, and just be able to rest. Mm. It it took me, it took me, like, it took everything out of me not to cry at my practice while this man was sleeping peacefully. Because that was the mm-hmm. only place he felt like he could be at the time. And mm-hmm. then after I was done with practice, he woke up, said, thank you so much. I offered him more water. And then he just went about his way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like going into Pan Am's, I thought about you know, my transition and a lot of things I've been through and then a lot of things the black and brown community has been through. And it, you know, it just resonated with me. So when I got on the podium, even though I don't, I didn't know why I did it at the time, or I didn't know that I was going to do it at the time. I just feel something come over me and I just feel like I needed to salute and to support and show that I am where I stand and who I stand for, you know, when I was on that podium and let people know, like, we are here. You know, many times I I find myself being the only Black American throwing the hammer, especially in meets overseas. I'm the only Black one. And so I just want to make a stand to show people we we are here. We can do this. Even though we have a lot of trials and tribulations and we live in impoverished neighborhoods and we do not have opportunities that other races have, we can still make it. And that's why I did it in that moment. I read somewhere that you hadn't, like, yeah, you weren't necessarily intending on doing that. And then mm-hmm. it just came, something happened. And, yeah. Yeah, the, just the emotion. Response. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was just really uh, an emotional response for me. Like, something just came over me. Yeah. And one of my peers, she she was just like, yeah, that was just your ancestors saying that, you know, that mm-hmm. they see you, you know, that they're proud of you. And I was just like, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... At, at, at that same meet, race, I, I, I can I can never say the last name, right? Is it Imboden? Imboden. Uh-huh. Imboden. Imboden. Okay. Yeah. He um he also knelt. Was he prior to you? Or do you remember the sequence of So he was before me. Okay. And um because I know when I got off the stand and then um when everything blew up, people were asking me, Oh, did you see the other guy? And I was just like, What other guy? And it was like, well, other guy, the um, offender knelt um, during um, the anthem after they won the championship, and I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know because you know the Wi-Fi was kind of bad out there. We were separated, <laughs> yeah. like the venues were separated. So no, mm-hmm. I did not know. But mm-hmm. he was before mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some some background. Um, Pan Am Games are like a mini Olympics. So yes. um, they have every sport there. It's a pretty huge deal. It gets a lot of coverage in the country that it's in, yeah. even if maybe in the USA it's not felt quite like the Olympics as far as coverage. Yeah. But um, we saw the photos from the podium. I know they circulated mostly because you got repercussions for that. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk a little bit about your probation from, by the IOC and what that actually was, what that means? Um, and how the IOC backed you up or didn't back you up on that? So the, the IOC, USOC, sorry. Uh, the USOPC, and um, I feel like their hands were tied for the most part, but I do feel like they still could have stood with me um, and race. Um, I know USA Track and Field, they did stand with me. They said they will not punish me. They will not reprimand me. They will not take away my tier money because... Uh, I performed how I performed. I was still one of the top performers in the world this year, and they did not want to take that away from me. Is that um, what they were supposed to do? Like, is that what IOC would have 
wanted them to do or do you probably, know what most likely probably so but the usa track and field did not um they did not reprimand me however the uslpc and the ioc they did give me a 12-month probation so um you have to think so during that time right so they gave me my probation in august so if it was for 12 months and it was at the end of august so they wanted it to go to this olympics so the olympics was supposed to be this year so they wanted to keep me silent the whole year and then if i did make the olympic team this year i could not do anything on the podium i could not do anything you know if i wanted that moment and i could not make any statements on the field of play and in the olympic village so and it was a way to silence me mm-hmm. for this upcoming Olympic Games. Uh, and, right. and that's because of the Rule 50, which just to give people a brief background, it's part of the IOC, the Olympic Charter, saying mm-hmm. that athletes aren't allowed to protest or make any political statements on the podium, in the field of play, um, in the venue, anywhere. Right. And, yeah. And and yet when I read it, a beautiful letter you wrote that I think only came out yesterday um, about like the kind of how hypocritical that is of the IOC that they are celebrating these bigger moments over the course of their history and yet then they're punishing you for acting in big solidarity and, and actually using your own platform. Right. Could you explain what to everybody what they've been doing the last year with that? So I feel like for the USOC, we have to remember that um, it's important that they have these rules in place because, of course, they have to protect their sponsorships and they have to uh, protect their partners and their partners and their sponsors do not want any type of quote unquote negativity or any type of political stance to mm-hmm. ruin or disrupt the Olympic Games. They want it to be happy. They want it to be, you know, joyful and they want these moments of sports to be always be remembered, right? But it's actually creating like a halo effect over everything that these athletes have gone through to get to this moment. Mm-hmm. So they want to sell mm-hmm. your story. They want to sell your trials and tribulations, but they don't want to sell what you celebrate and who you stand for and who you've done it for, right? Mm-hmm. They want it to be only mm-hmm. for your country. But people don't mm-hmm. only go to the Olympics for their country because some countries do not fund Olympians mm-hmm. like America. So mm-hmm. I, I would say that they have they have to put these rules in place, which is okay. No one's saying that the rules shouldn't be the rules. We're just saying, if the rules are the rules, don't reprimand the athletes and then celebrate them. Put them in the Hall of Fame. Put them in, you know, museums all around the world and say, oh, these are our heroes of our decades and put them on the websites. Don't do that. Either Mm -hmm. reprimand us, take everything away from us and say, you should have followed the rules or Mm -hmm. take the rule away and praise us and say, these people are fighting for something that is bigger than themselves. It ha- but it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. They're not. They are doing both, though. Right? Absolutely, they yes, always do both. They've been doing both since the beginning of time, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have lots of things to say about all of this. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, you know, we're seeing right now how important protest is. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? The right to protest belongs to. That's our human right. Um. And it goes across the board and it's necessary. I think that 
it's just this shut up and play sort of mentality that they absolutely that, uh, the IOC is trying to place upon us, and it's like when we show up to um the major playing field to a major championship event, everything comes with us. It's not like all of a sudden we just robot and mute delete. Here I am, right? Um, and we see how important it is for us to speak up and to um let people know, hey, this has been an issue that we have been facing. And it raises awareness. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we see global change. Like with what right now, you know, the, the, the fight against racism in America, it's from one technology showing that, hey, this, is pro- mm-hmm. this has been happening. It's mm-hmm. just that now we're able to film it and show you guys and every single person that is personal to a non-Black or, you know, um, Indigenous person of color. hmm can see, oh my gosh, that degree of separation is zilch. It's zero. It's right next to me. Every single person sharing their story has made this a unified fight. Absolutely. Um, and okay. I just love what you said about it being like, you know, to a race against time. I think that's mm-hmm. so poignant just to like really let that sink in. What does it like what that means? Like a race against time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you don't you don't have infinite moments <clears throat> as an athlete on the podium. You're lucky if you get one. So I think mm-hmm. You yeah. you said you felt that when you were up there, like everything that shaped you, everything that you saw at your practice, you've experienced in your life as a black woman, a black athlete in America that came out in that one special moment. So it's like, mm-hmm. why pretend you're only going to think, you know, about this happy, like Disney World type uh, right. podium moment when that's the reality. Um, right. And that's that's powerful reality though. Right. Like it's a powerful moment. So um yeah. it's your moment. It's your moment. And, your yeah, your moment. Your now journey. let's talk let's talk about the hypocrisy of all of it. Mm-hmm. Sarah Hirschland uh had you know they put out a uh was it a tweet? Yeah that said <laughs> Sarah Hershon is um, president, the CEO or um, CEO of the USOPC. CEO. Of the USOPC. Yeah, the USOPC had put out a tweet that said that they basically stand with people who demand equality. Um, <laughs> which what we're hearing and what we know now is a complete opposite. And um, there's a couple of questions I have. I want to know one, why we didn't widely know about this. You shared, you know, about them silencing you. Like that was, that's just shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I remember when it came out and they were talking about there could be possible repercussions, but nobody knew if they implemented any or not. Cause I was ready to go. If right. I, knew that. Um, I was, I was like, you know, um, all right, they didn't do it. Okay. They must realize that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love how you came back and you, and you said, Oh, really? You know, I, I want an apology letter mailed, just like you and the IOC mailed me when you put me on probation. And then you came back and said, <laughs> what did you come back and say, Gwen? I said, I lied. I want a public apology. <laughs> I want a public apology. I want a mail. I want yeah. a public. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us, tell us about those feelings and why, you know, why? Well, what's so funny is I didn't even know that she had put out a statement um, when I, cause I was out protesting that day. So my coach, my sister, and then like a couple of other people were texting me, but you know, I'm in a protest, you know, I'm, you know, no justice, no peace. So yeah. I didn't even know what was going on. And so I got back on my Twitter. I got on my phone eventually. And I'm just like, hold on. What did she tweet? What did she say? And you know, everybody, everybody went to war for me first. Everybody was like, oh, you're a hypocrite, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, 
yeah, she is a hypocrite. Where is my apology? <laughs> so, and I felt like if she was bold enough to make a public tweet like that, then you can be bold enough to publicly apologize. Yeah. Because you know, you knew, she knew, and she said it when I talked to her on the phone, she knew that I would have definitely, I was probably going to be the one to say something, mm-hmm. you know, besides mm-hmm. race, because mm-hmm. of my character. Mm-hmm. She she was ready for me to say something, and she was ready for what came with that. Mm-hmm. She expressed that to me when she did apologize via phone. Mm-hmm. So, Can you tell us? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Can you tell us about that apology, and what's, what do you think is going to come out of it? So I felt like when we, um, you know, Max Siegel, he did facilitate the call because, you know, I couldn't, of course, I couldn't get in touch with her, but she could have gotten in touch with me, but mm-hmm. whatever. So Max Siegel um, facilitated the call. And so when we got on the call, she started first. So she wanted to start, she said, I'm going to start by saying, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't understand how these things affected you and your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she did apologize. And, you know, I let her talk for a little bit, but I had to let her know. This is just not about me. What you what you mm-hmm. fail to realize is I speak for a culture. I speak mm-hmm. for a generation of children that look up to me, that need me, that rely on me. I'm the one that had a child at 14 years old. I'm the one that has been taking care of that child. My family, my siblings, my brother, my cousin. I'm the one. Mm-hmm. So had you had a supported me, you don't know what that could have done for those who come after me. Mm-hmm. You did not you did not only affect me, you affect my child. You affect my brother. You affect my cousin. Everybody that I take care of, that's who you affected. You affected all the kids who look up to me, who are scared to do hammer throw, but say, oh, this one black girl does it. If I'm black, I feel like I can do it too because she looks like me. Mm-hmm. You affected our culture. Mm. So I had to let her know that had she had stood with me, it could have looked different. Something could have happened from her taking a stand with me. Yeah, she let the IOC determine her decision when she knew that it wasn't even a a bad thing of what I did. What I did was not wrong. Yeah, you used your your platform. You used your Mm -hmm. your own power to do that. And I'm curious, what did they do? You got off that stand that day. Right. And what what did, like, did she ask you what happened? Did she? know your story no, no. absolutely right. not so she knew what, nothing what? no and she didn't she didn't care to know no she absolutely she did not care to and know then they, then they start sending you letters like tell, tell us how that like what what they did after the after you won that medal <clears throat> so after I won the medal um the that night you know um, I got a call from USA Track and Field, the USA Track and Field representative saying I had a meeting. So um, in that meeting, I re- I met with the um, Pan American Committee, and then it was USA Track and Field, and then the Pan American Committee, and they was just letting me know that I could possibly face consequences for what I did because I did sign the contract, mm-hmm. the athletes' contract that we're forced to sign, and um, you know that is part of the contract. So I said, okay, I absolutely understand. Um, the Pan American Committee let me know that they stood with me, they've supported me, and they were not going to reprimand me. I said, thank you. Uh, USA Track and Field, they said they stood with me, they support me all the way. So when I went, when I got back to America, um, I think I had a call with Max Siegel again, and then I want to say I did have a, a call with the USOPC, a member from the USOPC, just letting me know um, what they decide, what they decided. And um, basically, they said that 
um, they're going to reprimand me for a 12 month probation or whatever. And then they'll send me a letter in the mail. That's all I got. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to explain why I did it. I wasn't able to to explain, um, you know, what came over me or Mm -hmm. like what I thought that was, I didn't even get to speak on why, you know, this Mm -hmm. experience took place. Yeah, so that's and how they find you as well. Did I see that? Did they find you as um, well? And... They didn't find me, oh. but, but because of that, because of the lack of support, I did lose a lot of sponsorship money and a lot of grant um, opportunities. Okay, wow, yeah, okay. And do you know, have you connected with race at all about what his repercussions were? Yeah, so ours, ours was the same. Okay, yeah, we okay. had the same repercussions. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said about this whole issue. I think that we're, it's ongoing fight in 2021. Um, we're hoping to change the rules, right? Go ahead, Molly. Yeah. I saw most recently, Alicia, you got a copy of that letter saying Sarah Hirschland is putting together kind of like a working group of athletes um, on this topic. When I, I assume you want to be a part of that. You are a part of that. Um, what do you think, will come of that going forward and now we have the whole year to work this out before the olympics what do you think will come of that before the olympic games well i feel like um as far as the working group of athletes i'm not necessarily involved per se i'll give you know my two cents here and there because let's face it i still have to train um i still want to make this team i still want to make the podium so, you know, I have a job to do and my job is to take care of my family. So that would be my top priority. Um, yeah. As far I, and I feel like she has really good representatives already, especially um, in the town hall call. Um, there were a lot of people who stood in solidarity with me. So I feel like we have a good team already um, mm-hmm. as far as the working athlete team. I feel like what can come oh, what can come from it. I think it's going to be a hard fight because IOC um, put out a statement yesterday saying Mm -hmm. Rule 50 will not change. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's going to be a hard fight. I don't know what's going to come from it. What struck me on those town town halls, (laughs) um, I listened in on most of both of them. And I feel like there's really a lack of understanding um, for for what that means. You know, I think IOC... They don't have the perspective that you have as a black American. They don't know the history and what your lives are like. Like mm-hmm. to me, the, some of the stories that were shared on that town hall, I feel like they need to go directly into the IOC's ears from the athletes to have Absolutely. that. The power they had was just really eye opening. Yes. Um, I would like to see that happen in some way. I don't know if it's possible, but I just think there's a total lack of understanding for what, those podium moments really mean yeah mm-hmm. but you but but the thing is you, you got to think about it and i wrote this in my open letter the ioc let's just be real the ioc does not care about those stories because those stories don't matter as much as the billions of dollars that they have to generate that they have mm. to crowd like they have to come up with they have to spend they have to gain they have they have billions of dollars at stake Mm-hmm. And then if you think about it, okay, so if they hear stories from USA, they have to hear stories from Europe. They have to hear stories from Africa. So they'll get hit on all corners. So mm-hmm. for them, it's more productive to just be neutral and have these rules. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, to them, it's about <clears throat> the mighty dollar. Mm-hmm. Mighty dollar? Yes. 
Always comes down to that, doesn't it? It always comes down yeah. to the dollar. Yeah, yes. Like we talked about in our last podcast, how like the the idea of the Olympic Games bringing nations together, showing how nations can come together peacefully, right? That's actually what sport is like really the best thing for, right? Absolutely. That. And they, they talk about that. They t- celebrated that in the in South Korea. Um, how this was a great moment in a, in a social aspect, in a political aspect, that we were able to bring countries together. Yet, you know, this seems kind of inconvenient or something. They don't want to go into these personal stories yet. Like it's so important and they celebrate now the likes of Tommy Smith and John Carlos Muhammad Ali, which, which actually at the time when they protested were actually, their careers were destroyed as a result of that. Destroyed. So it's just really, are they able to say both things at the same time? It's just very, very, Seems very hypocritical. It is. I feel like there's no way that they can say the same thing at the same time. There's mm-hmm. no way they can do it. They 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 do it, but they do it afterwards. They do it after the mm-hmm. aftermath. So mm-hmm. during the time that Tommy Smith and John Carlos was on mm-hmm. that stand fighting for black people and black rights here in America, they say, uh uh-uh, uh, we don't want that. Mm-mm. But then eventually, as it got the hype, as it got the you know, as it grew, as the story that. grew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they and they were seen as heroes. The IOC also say, oh no, they did that at the Olympic Games. Mm. That, that was the moment here at the, you know. Mm. It's really, so they want to capital capitalize off of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And, and that's the only reason yeah. why they honestly celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I was just looking. Uh-huh, go ahead, Molly. I was just gonna say they talk about Olympism as a philosophy in that right. Olympic charter so much, and that's made up of, I mean. If you read what they write in there, they they talk about social justice and human dignity and you know all these things you know holding up moral responsibility and right. they, they turn around and say oh but don't talk about things that are going on in your own country like right. so it is mm-hmm. it is hypocritical in a lot of ways yeah well one thing I'm gonna say about racism just so everybody knows this isn't just in America it exists globally. Absolutely. Like the darker, the more hated, just so everybody can just let that sink in. This is just a fact. We are facing, we're talking about racism in America because of our deep rooted history of to how America even came to be America the Great. Again, I'll say it over and over again. This was a land that was looted from indigenous people and people from Africa were looted, stole, stole, pillaged, raped, everything, robbed, all this stuff brought over to America to build this country. Mm-hmm. And we are the most hated based on the color of our skin. That's so it. one of the things that drives me insane and in just reading Rule 50 guidelines is the fluff that they add into it about, however, all of they talk about, you know, hey, we, we advocate for you. We, we stand for change on the issues and we know the great importance of it all over the whole entire world. And they say, however, all of us are here at the Olympic Games because one day we dreamt of being an Olympian and maybe even an Olympic champion. Then they go on to say, <laughs> the unique nature of the Olympic Games enables athletes from all over the world to come together in peace and harmony. Are you talking about surface? Peace right. and harmony? Oh, yeah, What's, whose peace and harmony are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> so when I read that, Gwen, and everybody just like, you know, just to kind of further discussion, when I, when I read that, like, what do you feel? You know, how do you, how do you, uh, what do you see yourself doing to push through this? Because I, I don't feel like it's a stand up and let it go. Mm-hmm. 
I just feel disgusted. Or sit down and let it go. Sorry. <laughs> I, I feel disgusted. If you say peace, everybody comes to, together for peace and harmony, right? So my whole life, these four years I've trained to get here, I've been, you know, ridiculed. I've been, you know, racially profiled. I probably can you know, tell us about an experience. Been, oh, girl, I live around white people. I'm racially profiled every day. I'm looked mm-hmm. at like I'm mm-hmm. crazy every day. I can I can't even mm-hmm. go out to eat with somebody looking at me like, why is this black girl here? Or why mm-hmm. does this black girl drive that car? Or why does mm-hmm. this black girl, you know, her, why who is this, you know, who is this kid that she why does she have this kid at this age? You know, that's just mm-hmm. been my life. So mm-hmm. my whole four years that I'm training for this peace and tranquility day, <laughs> I have to endure this. And so, like you said before, so when I get here, it's just supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I've been through is supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Because for mm-hmm. most people, the things that they endure those four years training for that moment, that's what helps them get there. Yeah. yeah. That's yep. what's made you so strong, so resilient. Right. Able to yeah. fight for it yep. on the stage. It's the kind of out of touch oh. with the reality of like your story, our Olympian story. There's like right. heartbreak, there's resilience, you know, there's multiple yeah. things that are yes. the athlete to say, oh no, yeah. no peace and joy. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> since you're here, since you just touched down, all, it's all good. Your life yeah. is better. Your life is mm-hmm. better now. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's not because when I go back home, I still got bills to pay. But also the biggest thing about, the, about you know, this, oh, it's peace and harmony and then you go home. One of the things that I think is really important for us to also note is the percentage of Black people that all will also get sponsorships or not get sponsorships based on the way that they look. Absolutely. You know, you show up to the games, you win, a, uh, you know, talk to you, talk to you, <laughs> talk to Don Harper, you know, and it's because you don't fit America's look of what's marketable, what's digestible. You know, we can talk about how I curate for you. You know, when you look at an Instagram feed and how people are trying to present themselves in a way that's digestible when they're being, when they're sponsored by a company, digestible to white America. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, if it, I, it, to our listeners, I implore you to read W.E.B. Du Bois, Double Consciousness, because I think that that is at play all the time when we think about marketing ourselves. Yes. And we, if we want to earn more money and you know, I'm sure you can think of multiple instances where you felt like, should I make myself more digestible for white America so I can accrue some sponsorships and so they would want to market me? Do you have any thoughts or any um, any times where you felt like that was something um, that <clears throat> may be a necessity for you? Not me per se, but I, I've seen it my whole career. Like, mm-hmm. if you think about it right, and no offense, because I feel like this is the truth, had if Serena Williams wasn't as dominant as she is, let's just be honest. Do you really mm-hmm. think Nike would have been throwing millions of dollars and backing her as long as they have? Mm-hmm. Absolutely oh, not. Because she was ridiculed. Her. Yes, mm-hmm. she was ridiculed when she was younger. She mm-hmm. was. Uh, she had things thrown at her on the tennis court when she was younger. She was called a nigger at a tennis uh, tennis match when she was younger. Yeah. If she was not dominant, she would not have any sponsors. Mm-hmm. let's just be real mm-hmm. and though and there are females in in tennis that have done nothing that have that have gotten more sponsors than she was when she mm-hmm. was younger because they're white and because yeah, they're course. pretty and they fit the narrative mm-hmm. yeah anna kornikova is a prime example of that absolutely mm-hmm. i don't know did, just, you, did ahead, you ladies read 
sorry, um, the Sports Illustrated article that Chris Chavez just did, he had a lot of good quotes from Team USA athletes. And yes. uh, Dalila Muhammad said before her race last year, her coach was, I mean, I don't know who told her this. I think it was, it was a, coach, a random person. It person was, was like, person. you have to yeah. win this because yeah. if you're second, there's nothing for you. And right. that she took that as like, yeah, like, like I have to be the best in the world. I have yeah. to be the best in the history of the event, basically, to get any kind of um, media not- notoriety mm-hmm. or any yeah. kind of. Because of how she looks. Mm-hmm. But do you think they would tell a white girl that? No, they mm-hmm. would say, oh, go ahead, girl. You just run your race and have fun mm-hmm. and get out there and do your thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like an, a kind of impossible task as well. Though you have to be flawless, perfect, and the greatest of all time in order to be accepted. Like absolutely not. That's not fair. <laughs> absolutely. And we talk about that in all industries where it's like black women have to achieve ten times more to just be at a relatively equal level you know, in terms of pay or, you know, a job opportunity. And I'm saying relative because it's still not equal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if we have to, you know, work 10 times as hard, it's, it's, um, and, you know, a whole nother issue just for everybody in their own homework and their own time is to look up the issue of colorism. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a layer to race. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I've said the, the darker, the more hated. And that's yes. how it's been in uh, globally, but in America. Yeah, I, I, I had to go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was about to say I had to say it, but you see it in the women's hurdles, like with Don Harper on the on the call. Don Harper has always been compared to Lolo Jones. Mm-hmm. Lolo Jones does not have one Olympic medal, mm-hmm. not one. And Don Harper has a gold. And she there. has two and a silver. <laughs> she has two Olympic medals, mm-hmm. but for some reason, America loves what they love. Mm-hmm. America loves what they love. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculous. How does this one, not to say, no hating, you know, go ahead, Lolo, do your thing, girl. However, how does she have so much media sponsors? Mm-hmm. She's on everything. You know, she was uh, just on a, a show with uh, Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then you have this other hurdler that has accomplished way more than you. And because she's dark and she's not quote unquote pretty enough. Mm-hmm. You know, she yeah, said we did a podcast. We did a podcast with Don, and just she even talked about her stressing later, like, why did I braid my hair like that? You know, all these things yeah. that make us hate mm-hmm. ourselves because the world has told us we're not pretty enough, we're not good enough. The way that you came into this world is just wow. So sorry yeah. that that's just what you yeah. fell into. And she mm-hmm. felt like a villain for like winning for winning. The- yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that just shows you, though, right? We were talking about Serena Williams being able to, like, kind of get the sponsorships and stuff, even being the greatest of all time, not just like not dominant, the greatest of all time. Right. One was Olympic champion, and she's, and I'm sure Serena still deals with racial abuse, right? That that this is still a factor, even if they are Olympic champion or greatest of all time, they're still dealing with this. They're still, mm-hmm. they're still not sure if we brought them on. Or they, they will dawn. We know it, it happens to her. And um, I'm sure Serena has <laughs> plenty of stories still, mm-hmm. you know. So it's still even the excellence, that supreme perfection still gets. Isn't enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, um, I think 
what we're talking about, this is just so interesting to ask this question because this is part of our podcast, but the reason that we um, have keeping track, we, we, we are sharing the stories that are not as greatly and as widely told for our women athletes. And um, this is a big part of the story that hasn't been told, but is there anything else that you would like for us to get out there to our audience and to our listeners? Um, I just feel like in this time of civil unrest and this time of, you know, everybody honestly getting on board and fighting for what we're fighting for, it is imperative that we keep momentum. We have to maintain this momentum because it it isn't enough that we say what we say, we speak how we speak, we protest, we riot, we do all these things, and then it just goes away. And I feel like that's the that's the worst thing about America and social media. Everything has like, you know, a 48 to, you know, 72 hour cycle. You know, it's popular and then it dies and then it's popular and then it dies. But we have to maintain this momentum so it doesn't die. And so things like this stop happening and we can prevent it. It's proven that social media, people protesting, people rioting, it does work. So if we keep this momentum you know, we can we can do a lot of things. Now, we can't change the world overnight or even America overnight mm-hmm. or the perception of beauty or perception, perception of colorism. And, you know, we can't change those things overnight. But mm-hmm. in any in any case, if we maintain momentum, we can get some stuff done. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, Molly, do you, I thought that you were going to ask a question and I didn't want to kind of cut you off. Oh, no, I was, <laughs> I was just um, going back. Yeah, I forget. It was about something earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of about how in track and field, we already feel like we're all fighting for pieces of the pie anyway. Yeah. And so to feel like you have to be-, be the best of all time. You have to like win worlds. And sometimes that's not enough. So mm-hmm. it's, I was just going to highlight how in track, it's almost amplified how you feel just like unseen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. True. Well, we're going to keep the momentum and we're going to keep fighting. And I keep saying, you know, this is a group project. <laughs> it you is. Know, we all want to graduate. So, you know, let's 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 all make this happen. It's time. We've seen history repeat itself. And, you know, just to think the civil rights movement, it was not that long ago, everyone, you know, was it? our most of our parents were alive during that time. And um, it's time for us to really, really dig our heels. in. And it is for me. I feel encouraged to see like the world behind this movement. I think that is unprecedented right now. And um, we thank you so much for your time and for your words, Gwen. Um, I'm going to hold on to that, keeping the momentum. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. And it's already encouraging to see the small amounts of change that have happened in just a few weeks regarding where funding has been shifted, where policies are sort of changing. And so we just need to keep our foot on the gas is what I keep hearing people say. And that's true. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and for any of our listeners who are, you know, kind of feel like they want to do more and want to kind of, I don't know, help in some way. I'm curious, you know, with this new form of um, kind of athlete voice at the USPOC, um, can the public be involved in that? Like kind of trying to look for that change, mm. the IOC. Can we, is there something, is there some kind of public kind of power that could be used to help influence that rule change? Um. I feel like as far as the public, I don't know, that is a good question. I feel like if the public does stand with, um, you know, the the athletes that we send over to the Olympic Games, you know, that'll speak, that'll speak tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I feel like, that. 
Yeah, but I feel like the, the the one thing that the public can do is get on the sponsors, you know, because you know there are a lot of sponsors that do um, put money into um, mm. the Olympic Games, and so you know maybe if the public, you know, if they out the sponsors, you know, and say, well, hold on, y'all said y'all stand for this, but y'all y'all put billions of dollars into the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. you know what, you know maybe. Yeah, maybe that that's, that could happen. That's a great point because almost every <clears throat> business and major corporation has put out some kind of formal statement of support yes. in the last yep. week, and it's like I'm sure there's overlap between some of those companies and the companies that sponsor the Olympics. You know, you can Absolutely. look up you. I think you attached that sheet of the sponsors <clears throat> of the USOC and IOC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder if maybe more putting pressure and voicing your support to those actual companies would be productive yeah if something formalizes with that let we'll definitely share it here and um you know yeah see what user have everybody try and do something to kind of move the needle there yeah so thank you Gwen it's worth it well thank you thank you so much for keeping track thanks Gwen (laughs) thank you guys thank you for having me happy training to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.